You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning. Uh, Today I'm going to be reading Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told his parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Ezra. Yeah, I'm going to just be speaking about this as we get ourselves ready for the baptisms that are going to be happening. We're so excited. When I was listening to that parable, when I was thinking about it, one word came to my mind, and it was the word approval. Jimmy Carr, he's a West London lad, whether you like him or not, a comedian from Isleworth who said this, the tragedy for comedians is there is nothing more they want than to be liked. We desperately seek approval. It's almost like a personality disorder that you can do as a job. I thought it was a really interesting thing, wasn't it? We always think comedians are funny folk. I don't know if you've bought your tickets yet for the Ealing Comedy Festival that's coming up. He's saying, well, actually, all comedians are stood at the front, and what they really want is approval. Simu, he's a Chinese-born stuntman. Uh, I know he's got Canadian citizenship now. says, I spent the better part of my young life searching for people's approval and validation and not getting any of it. Now, we know him, don't we, as the actor that made it in a Marvel film, and we can think, wow, but he's saying, you know what, when I grew up, what I really wanted as a child was approval, but I never quite found it. Brené Brown, she's an American research professor, says this, many people think of perfectionism, I often think of that with London. We love things on a high standard. We love things done well. Many people think of perfectionism as striving to be your best. But it's not about self-improvement. It's about earning approval and acceptance. Wow, so maybe it's not just comedians. Maybe it's not just teenagers. Maybe it's some of us. Are we really seeking approval? Michael Penner, the American actor, he says, we all want approval. I sometimes wonder if this is what drives social media, our insatiable appetite for likes. I've got to to admit, I was going to say I'm the wrong side of 50. I don't think there's a wrong side of 50 to be. That's a society statement straight away, isn't there? But I didn't understand about, I read about 15 new social media outlets that are happening this year, and I thought, I'd never even heard of half of them. Substack, Polywork, is it? Instagram Reels, Clubhouse, Discord. Everybody wants a like. 
Let's put it out and see if I can get a like. Well, I think that this parable that Jesus told, although it was 2,000 years ago, is totally relevant for us today. Whether you're a believer or not, many people would have said Jesus was one of the greatest teachers that ever existed. And he often taught through parables. In fact, he told 50, 70 That kind of number, different parables. This was before TED Talks occurred. It wasn't a 20-minute. It was about a 250, 300-word story. In fact, half of his words in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of the life of Jesus, half of his words were in parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So he has told this earthly story. It's about one guy, the Pharisee who goes to pray, and another guy, the tax collector. He's telling an earthly story, but he wants us to be open to heaven. One American Bible teacher says this, a parable is a picture that becomes a mirror and then a window. A parable is a picture, so you look at it, oh, that's quite interesting. Oh, it's a mirror because it reflects something of me. And then it's a window, I look through it to see the future. As we gaze at the scene in this parable, I want you to see yourself and then see truth. Okay, let's pause and think about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let's be, it's very, very simple. The same kind of people. It's two male adults in the same place, the temple. The same activity, they both come to pray. At the same time, how do I know that? Because in those days, people used to go and pray either nine in the morning or three in the afternoon. In the same position, they both stood. Using the same title, they both said God. But actually, it turns out with a totally different result. It appears the parable outlines a right and a wrong way to seek approval from God. So let's start by looking at the Pharisee. The the Pharisee, sometimes if you go to church now, we, we can maybe knock the Pharisees and we think Jesus was often challenging them. In those days, the Pharisees were the good people. The Pharisees were radical. They were committed. They were devoted. They were holy. In fact, some of them were descended from religious freedom fighters that loved the nation. And so it was quite a shock when Jesus starts talking about this parable, this Pharisee and this parable, because I don't know if you picked up, but he uses one word five times. I. I, 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 I. You see, the self-righteous are often self-centered. The self-righteous, those that sort of think, hey, I'm the good guy, they're often focused upon themselves. Their identity is obtained through this sort of sense of self-worth by what they do. Think about the, the Pharisee for a moment. I'd like to imagine that he was stood. Well, we know he was stood. I'd like to think his hands were raised. We don't do that nowadays, but if you read in the New Testament, they often used to raise their hands in prayer. So he stood there and he's praying like this to God. And basically he says two things. I don't and I do. 
He says, I don't behave like this robber. I don't behave like this evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. In fact, I'm not even like this scum called a tax collector. He focuses upon his own actions. Hey, what I don't do. I guess really he's caught up in relative goodness. He compares himself to somebody else and he feels better. That's the thing with comparison, isn't it? You either feel rubbish about yourself or you actually feel quite proud, don't you? I mean, Ross has got, you know, the body of a god. (laughs) But I like to compare myself to him when it comes to running because he doesn't run and I do. We like to compare ourselves to people where we could look better. Don't tell me how many weights you lift or how often you go to the gym. Hey, how many Ks have you run this week, Ross? That's relative goodness, isn't it? I like to compare and think I'm doing better. Or maybe you compare yourself to someone and think, oh, golly, I feel really bad about myself. The Pharisee compared and felt much better about himself. Relative goodness. And then he went on. He didn't say, this is what I don't do. He also said, and this is what I do. He says, I fast. Well, in the the Old Testament, actually, the people of God were only asked to fast on one day. The Day of Atonement. It was a day when they came to God to say, look, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. The Bible calls it sin. And God said to them, right, I want you to fast to show how serious you are. The Pharisees didn't fast one day a year. The Pharisees fast two days, a week. Man alive, you know what I'm saying? They, they, the traditional Pharisee would fast on a Monday and a Thursday. Now, it just so happened in those days that market days were Monday and Thursday. So I guess everybody would notice. Hey, aren't I good? This is what I do. So he says, I fast and I give. The Old Testament, again, taught that if you're a Pharisee, if you're a follower of God, if you're a radical, you gave the first 10%, that's where we get this word tithe from, of all your crops, and you can read about it. It's in Deuteronomy, a book in the Old Testament. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce. And in an agricultural society, where did you get your wealth from? Whatever you grew. Hey, if I've got all this, a tenth, that goes to you, God. I put you first. What did the Pharisees do? They didn't just tithe their fields. They decided to tithe their gardens. We read about it in Luke. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. You see, the Pharisee was there standing and saying, God, this is how good that I am. I don't really need you. I'm not really talking about you. I'm going to tell you how good I am. When I was younger, I used to know a song. This will get me in trouble as well, I'm sure. I would deny it, but now that we're caught online, I can't. It's a television program, and they used to sing it. It says, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I just can't look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. Yeah, okay, I better stop there. It's not a great song. You might say, hey, Pete, I don't sing that. You're not my age. I'm the wrong side of 50. We've established that. 
But do you still even come to church and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person? I don't tell the whole country what to do and then just do the opposite. I don't watch porn when I'm at work. I don't cheat on my expenses. Obviously, I'm not trying to go for one type of person now. Do we end up saying, I don't do this, I'm okay? Or do we stand and say, well, actually, I am a school governor and I give of my time. In fact, I do buy the big issue for the first person that I see every week. I think there can be a danger for all of us that we end up approaching God and what we don't or what we do, do. The Pharisee really glanced at God, but looked at himself. And I would like to throw down the challenge in this picture that becomes a mirror, that becomes a window. Are we more like the Pharisee? This is what I don't do. I'm I'm good. I don't do that. I do do this. Because I think that's the challenge that Jesus is bringing. The danger is, sorry, the Pharisee's prayer is so laden with self-congratulations that it can hardly get off the ground, let alone wing its way to a listening ear of God. There's a challenge there, isn't it? Hey, we could be so caught up in ourselves. In a city, you've got to work so hard. If you don't look after you, nobody else will. We can end up having that kind of approach. The danger with this is that it led the Pharisee to feeling like a self-saviour. I'll look after myself. He was really boasting. His social status was gained by self-sufficiency. He seeks approval through superiority rather than humility. Daryl Bock in his commentary says, Humility is rare in a society that loves to brag about uniqueness and merit. Pride preaches merit. Humility pleads for compassion. Oh, so there's this challenge. Jesus is throwing out this picture and says, Hey, these people... Go to the same place, do the same activity. One is the Pharisee and the other is the tax collector. Look, if this was Christmas and if this was a panto, you would be booing by now. <laughs> Seriously, woo, boo, you know. I was going to think, who should I use it? And then I thought I would just get myself in trouble because somebody from that section of society may well be here. And I'm not trying to cause a fact, but Jesus was sort of saying tax collectors were not liked. Maybe that's the thing that's still the same from Jesus' day. I think they were more disliked than even maybe today. You see, a tax collector almost was a, a legalized robber. They'd sided with the Romans who came and invaded the country. And so often they were Jews, but actually they worked for the Romans. And actually they'd take more than they needed because the Romans say, oh, you've got to give us this much. And the more that they could get, the richer they became. And so it's almost like they were robbing off themselves. And so Jesus has these two. But actually the tax collector is totally different to the Pharisee. Rather than boasting He's confessing. Rather than confidence, he is showing penitence. I wanted to kneel, but I thought it doesn't tell me that in the story. But if I was the tax collector, I'm not looking up, I'm looking down, I'm stood. He's not raising his hands, he's beating his chest. 
He's not up close to be noticed. He's sort of hidden at the back. It's a totally different picture with the tax collector. He asks God for mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Let's be honest, it rarely happens nowadays, does it? You know, a copper stops you for going too fast. It's awfully a camera. Is that right? I'm amazed how many people have nodded. We've got some speeders in the house today. (laughs) But in the old days, you know what I'm saying? If a copper stopped you and said, I think you were going a bit too fast there. You'd say, oh, I'm really, really sorry. And if they said, oh, that's all right, I'll give you a warning this time. You think, whoa, that's mercy. (laughs) I got away with not being punished on what I deserved. That's mercy. The tax collector does not come and tell God what he deserves. He comes and asks God for his mercy. Don't treat me as I deserve. Well, it tells us another thing about the tax collector. He admits he is a sinner. Now, Again, it's not a word that we use loads today. I guess the honest truth is uh, sin is anything that we think, say, or do that is wrong. Most of us, the first time we do it, we felt guilty. The tenth time we do it, we've numbed our conscience and we no longer feel guilty. But actually, we might not want somebody else knowing that we've done it. I'd hate you to know my thought. Come on, some of you could be right now. You might think, if this guy would just shut up. Why on earth? You know what I'm saying? I'm so angry with the person who made me come today. I could have helped somebody, but I chose not to. That's sin. He comes and admits he is a sinner. You see, he's aware of God's ultimate standard. His ultimate standard is perfection. And the tax collector recognizes, I am not perfect. That's how he comes and approaches God. You see, the gospel that we talk about and Greg referred to earlier, and I'm sure he'll be talking about some more. The gospel actually says this, we are more sinful than we would ever admit. (laughs) That's not good news. I came for some good news. But we are more loved than we could ever hope for. That's the gospel. And in some respect, the, the tax collector understood that. He thought, I am more sinful than I could even dare admit. But actually, God, maybe you love me more than I could even hope for. That's the story that we're going to hear with these six people. And what I love is this, the tax collector goes home justified. How are you going to leave this morning? Because from the story, he goes home justified. Immediate effect. It wasn't like, oh, he had to turn his life around. It wasn't like, oh, well, actually, the tax collector went and did this. this, this." On this story, he's justified instantly. That's the beauty of the gospel. God welcomes those who turn to him. That's still true today. These six people, they're each going to come out and tell us their story. And basically, I don't want to spoil it, but each of them would say, well, this is what I was like. But then I came to God, and I know that he's welcomed me. He's a father in heaven who loves me and embraces me. A father who says, come on home. If we did a study of the book of Luke, which is where this has come from, We can see time after time that Jesus welcomed any who would come to him. 
In Luke 5, verse 12, it says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. In those days, leprosy, basically, you had to ring a bell. Unclean, unclean. I mean, that's not PC today, is it? You had to stay a long way away. You weren't even supposed to stay downwind in case it blew black on people. They'd literally throw you food. Don't come close. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. Because Jesus welcomes those who humbly come to him. In Luke 7, verse 34, the Son of Man, which is a title of Jesus, came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, he wanted to connect with people that wanted to connect with him. He wasn't, oh, standing back. <laughs> I'm so great. He come on and said, come on, let's get together. We read in Luke 16, at his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. And it's almost like in that story, there's this guy who's got everything and he doesn't care about the beggar, but God welcomes the beggar because the beggar cries out to him. Time after time, we could look at this. So let me ask you the question this morning. Are you prepared to recognize your need and to come to Jesus? That's what these six people have done. Look, at the end of the day, they're not claiming to be anything special. I guess what they are claiming to say is, I'm not boasting about what I do and I don't do. I am recognizing that I'm a sinner in need of his mercy. It's funny, isn't it? We can chase so many things, but do they really satisfy? Robbie Williams, come on, if I started Let Me Entertain You, I bet half of you would be joining in at the end of the first line. I mean, he's considered an icon, isn't he? But didn't he say recently, fame is intoxicating and isolating? It should come with a health warning. Oh, wow, this was the guy who supports, is it Port Vale or something? You think, oh, God, help him. But he's got world idolization. Freddie Mercury, who trained here, lead singer of Queen, says, I can have world idolization and be one of the most lonely men on the planet. Oh, I've chased all of this, but I've lost the real approval that I want. The Bible says those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves are exalted. This is very strange for us. Let's just pause and think about that for a moment. It is a theme that comes from the Bible. As I chatted to each of the six that are getting baptized, it's quite humbling, isn't it? Stand up in front of people and tell your story. It's quite humbling to get into an ice-cold bath publicly and be completely wet. But we know from Proverbs, he mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. What these guys are doing is they're saying, I humbly come before God. In the New Testament, there's a letter from James, the brother of Jesus, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we've thought a little bit about the Pharisee. We've thought a little bit about the tax collector. I guess the third person in the story, which is probably a sneak of me, 
would be Jesus. How do we understand the parable unless we understand the guy who's telling it? This story only makes sense when we think about him. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for a wrong despite not doing any himself. He rose again and he offers us new life if we trust him. What we are celebrating in this, which is a, a dying, it's literally being pushed down into a grave and rising again. We're celebrating that is what Jesus did for us. I know that I've run right out of time. Hint, hint to the guy doing the slides. Let me just end with this last one, which is from Tom Wright. This one went home vindicated. Those are the most comforting words in the gospel. I would like to say to all those that have been baptized, hey, you're vindicated because actually he shows mercy to sinners. I'd like to say, for those that are getting baptized, actually, you're vindicated, not how well you perform or what you say, but because he shows mercy to sinners. And I'd like to say to all those that are here that you think, this is a strange thing. What are people doing? Why are they singing? What's this all about? He would love to show mercy to you if you would recognize your need of him. I think we're all looking for approval. Do we try and get it by comparing ourselves to others and thinking about what we do or don't do? Or do we come and recognize we need God's mercy? And we could go home completely vindicated.